See, in the future, the nations against Israel are going to come together. And this is during the tribulation period, when the Lord comes back in power and great glory. Nations are going to be gathered together. And in the plains of Jezreel, there is also this place called Armageddon. It's a tell. I've been there six times. And in this great big old valley, God's going to bring them in. And then Christ is coming back, and he's going to fill the, it's like a big old bowl full of blood. And his people, Israel, are going to believe on the Lord, and they will be saved as in a day. And God says, these are my people, because they will believe on the Lord. And that's why you see there in verse 11, Then shall the children of Judah and the children of Israel be gathered together and appoint themselves one head. So this is what is coming, and it will take place just like the Lord says. Now look here in chapter 2 of Hosea, and look at verse 23. And I will sow her unto me in the earth, and I will have mercy upon her that had not obtained mercy. And I will say to them which were not my people, Thou art my people, and they shall say, Thou art my God. Now some of these words also found in the book of Revelation, the last chapter, when he talks about, And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband, and says, and blah, 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 and they are my people. And I will call them my people, and they shall call me their God. So eventually, in the long run, God wins just like he promised. But it ain't over yet. Now take your Bible and turn to the book of Romans. To the book of Romans. And look there in chapter 9. In Romans chapter 9, we had just gone through chapter 9 and part of it here where we talk about the, the potter and the clay. Where God can, if he chooses to, it can refer to an individual because God can harden Pharaoh. But he also can harden another individual like, you know, a lost man. If he rebels and rebels and rebels, he heart gets hardened. And God says that concerning his children, you and I, we can be his child, and yet we're supposed to be like clay in the potter's hand, and we can harden ourselves against the will of God. So sometimes God has to deal with us. And uh, our tears can melt us a little bit to where we submit to the Lord. But it also can refer to the Jews or I should say Israel, and Gentiles. So there are individuals that God says rebel against him, and God has already decided those who rebel against him, he can use them as vessels of wrath to demonstrate his wrath on. And God can take those that will obey him and are sensitive and teachable, and he can mold and shape the way he wants. to do be vessels of mercy, vessels of uh, blessings. So you've got the choice. And so you and I are making decisions, but what about the nation of Israel? Because, see, if God has not kept his promise to the nation of Israel, then how do we know that God will keep his promise to us? Now, we had just went through Sunday about all these things that God has done for us and how that we get down to chapter 8, and there's now no separation. It can never be separated from the Lord. Well, God also promised some of these same things to the nation of Israel. Well, if God didn't keep his promise to Israel, how do we know he kept his promise to us? Well, his promise that he did make to Israel, he has kept. 
And you see, it's those that as a nation, if they obeyed the Lord, national blessings. If they didn't, national cursing. So in the land or out of the land, blessings of God, rains fall, all things would be blessed. But if you harden yourself and refuse to obey what God says, then as a nation, God can set you aside. And he has done that with Israel, the ten tribes, to Assyria, also did the same thing with Babylon. And they went into 70 years of captivity. Now, look what he says here, down in verse 23. And that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared unto glory. So Israel, God wanted to use them as the vessels of glory. But Israel rebelled against the Lord. And because of their rebellion, God was able to chasten them, pour out his wrath upon them. And the nation of Israel, well, the temple was destroyed. They were scattered upon the face of the earth 2,000 years. And things don't look so good. And now Israel, many had gone back to the land, but they're back in the land, but in unbelief. So he says there in verse 24, even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. Now, if the Gentiles will believe on the Lord, then God can let them be vessels of mercy. And Israel became vessels of wrath because God set them aside, but there's always been a remnant of those that were his children. And that's why Paul says, even I, I'm a Jew, but my heart's in prayer to God is that Israel would accept the Lord. But they're ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of Christ. Because Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. So now, verse 25. And you'll notice that some of these verses down through here will refer to some of those that we've already read in the book of Isaiah and also in the book of Hosea. And verse 25, and as he saith also in Hosea, I will call them my people, which were not my people, and her beloved, which were not beloved. See, God wanted a nation that he could use and be a blessing and a light to the world and teach the world. And Israel messed up pretty bad. And God says that now he can take people that were not his people and graft them into the vine, which was Christ, and therefore into the, I should say, the olive tree, and we are flourishing. But it's because of our choice. We chose to accept Christ. They chose to reject Christ. But even though Gentiles have accepted this Messiah that he talked about in the book of uh, Isaiah in chapter 42, he was the light to the Gentiles. So that's why we have this wonderful opportunity given to us. So he says here in verse 26, And it shall come to pass, that in the place where it was said unto them, Ye are not my people, there shall they be called the children of the living God. Isaiah also crieth concerning Israel, Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sands of the sea, a remnant shall be what? Shall be saved. So even though the majority of the nation of Israel disbelieved, talking about in Isaiah's day, there's still that remnant that kept believing all the way down through time. Even the 400 years of silence that we have upon the earth, 
Now, between the last book in the Old Testament, Malachi, and the first book in the New Testament, the book of Matthew, about 400 years there, you have many books that were written in between there. They had the book of the Maccabees, and they had these, what they call the pseudepigrapha books, and the apocrypha books, all these different things, but they're not um, of the canonicity of the scriptures. They are simply Jewish history, and that people have wrote history, and there's a lot of good information in there, but they're not divinely inspired. But there's things that for 400 years, there still has to be a remnant. So when Christ came, there were some that were looking for the Lord. They were expecting him to come. So then he says here, there's this remnant shall be saved. Verse 28. This means that God's promise is still true. There's always this remnant of Israel. So in verse 27, Isaac cried. And in verse 28, for he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. Now, this is a reference back, I believe, in the book of Hosea when he talks about it will be for a short period of time. And so 70 years seems like a mighty long period of time to me. I've been alive for 74. And I guess it does seem kind of short now that I get uh, <laughs> thinking about it. I wouldn't mind it being a little bit longer. But God did what he promised to do. Now get verse uh, 29. And as Isaiah said before, except the Lord of Sabbath had left us a seed, we had been as Sodom and Gomorrah. But he had a seed, and see, Sodom and Gomorrah was totally wiped out. The nation of Israel, they've been trying to annihilate the nation of Israel, and the devil has been trying to get Israel into trouble so that God would have to chase them and wipe them out. That happened back here in, in, uh, with Balak and so on. But anyway, look what else he says here in verse 30. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles, which followed not after righteousness... Talking about the righteousness of the law. They weren't trying to earn their way to heaven by the righteousness of the law. They didn't have the law. Israel had the law. Israel had the law. But what advantage did it do them? And this is what you find in the book of uh, Romans in chapter 3. What advantage then do it? Because does that make God, his word of Noah, avail? Uh, if, because people didn't believe it? No, his word is still true. And so he says... What shall we say then? That the Gentiles, which follow not after righteousness, have attained to righteousness. What kind of righteousness then would the Gentiles get? The righteousness, get this, which is of faith. See, the Jews could have had it, but they wouldn't believe it. They wouldn't believe that even when Jesus came, they wouldn't believe on the Lord. And so Jesus was rejected, crucified. And so that's why he says here, that even the righteousness which is of faith. Now get verse 31. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, they tried to put all their hope in keeping the law. So they were so stringent on the law, they even added about 500 more laws than what God done. And they still couldn't keep the law. And they were a bunch of hypocrites. So when Christ was here, Jesus Christ pointed out their hypocrisy that they did not keep the law, though they claimed to keep the law. They did not keep the law. And so he says here, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. In other words, they did not attain righteousness by the law. 
All the way through the book of Romans, it talks about you're justified by faith without the deeds of the law, without the law, without the law, without the law. So why did God set Israel aside? Because they would keep in trying to get righteousness by their works. And God will not save a man by his works. And so therefore they became vessels of wrath to show God's wrath upon. And God did pour out his wrath upon them. But there was still a, a remnant of Jewish people that trust the Lord. Were not all the Jewish apostles, weren't, weren't they all Jewish? Yeah, they were believers. And Paul, well, he was a Jew. So there's a lot of Jews, and the Bible says 3,000 on that one day. And later on, five and 10,000 multitudes trusted the Lord. So there was always this remnant down through time. That's why there's still a remnant of Jews living today that have trusted Christ as their Savior. Now look what he says. In verse 32, the question, Wherefore, because they sought it not by faith, why were the Jews set aside, I mean the nation of Israel, why were they set aside? Because they sought salvation by works. The works of the law. And he says here in verse 32, Because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone. See, they are walking in darkness, and the very stone they were to step on, they fell over. And the Bible also says, Woe to those that the stone falls on them and crushes them. So this is a stone. And let's just hold your place right here and look there in the book of uh, 1 Peter in chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Because you see, the book of Peter is also written to some uh, Jewish people. And you'll find out that this is uh, very important. In chapter 2, look what he says. And you start up there in verse, uh, verse 4, talking about people coming to the Lord. To whom coming, as unto a living stone, disallowed or rejected, indeed, of men, but chosen of God and precious. This stone, which was Christ, the people rejected. Because of their rejection, the hardness of their heart, then God is justified and destroying the nation, the temple, and scattering the Jewish people around the world. He's prophesied that's what would happen to him. But it ain't over yet. That's why we still believe that the promises that God made to Israel, he will keep. He will keep his promise to Israel. Israel will be a people. Israel will have their land. And they will be the greatest nation in the world. And then he says here in verse 5, Ye also as lively stones, living stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, chosen, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded, other places I'll not be ashamed, confused, in other words, you'll never be ashamed that you trusted Christ as your Savior. When this is all over, you're going to be so glad you trusted Christ as your Savior. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient or unbelieving, the stone which the builders disallowed or rejected, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word being disobedient or unbelieving. 
Stumbling over the rock is stumbling over the gospel. You're not believing that the gospel is telling you the truth, that you're saved by grace because of what the rock did. And this is why you go all the way back to the book of Exodus. And uh, when he's talking about when he said to strike the rock, that was a type of them, yes, Christ being crucified for us. And the gospel, I believe, was all through the Old Testament. And then the next time, it was just to speak to the rock, and it would have got the water. But Moses messed up. Didn't get to go in the land because of it. Now, go back there to the book of Romans. Back to Romans. And this is why he says, as it is written, in verse 33, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. Those who believe, he is precious. Those who don't believe, he was rejected by them and become a stumbling block. The very one that can save the Gentile is the same one that Israel rejected. Now, we'll finish with just a couple of these verses here because I just want to see how it's all connected together. Now, look there in chapter 10. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel as a nation is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God. But is having a zeal for God enough to go to heaven? No. Isn't there a lot of religions where people are full of zeal? You got Mormons that will go around the world. You got Jehovah's Witnesses who got out every week and they'll knock on doors and they've got zeal, fervor. That ought to count for something. No, it doesn't count for anything. For I bear them record that have a zeal of God because Paul said, I did too. But not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness. What were they ignorant of? God's righteousness. The law was never given to save. But they tried to save themselves by the law. They were trying to work for their righteousness. And he says, going about to establish, get that, their own righteousness. Have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. What they could have had, they rejected. And so, this is to me is just plain, it's just gospel all the way through it. I couldn't teach any of the passages. That's why, you know, guys like me and Hank and Wally, every time we open the Bible, all we see is gospel, 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 gospel. You say, well, is that all that's in the Bible? Well, that's a lot in it. Because without the gospel, you can't understand much of the scripture. That's the light that shines upon the scripture. It's the lens by which you study the rest of scripture. And if the gospel is fuzzy, then you can't see the other doctrines as clear as you ought to. So it's uh, very clear when you look at it. Now look in verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Can you get any clearer than that? Now, just hold your place. Well, you don't have to hold your place here. I probably won't come back there. <laughs> look over in Galatians in chapter 3. Galatians chapter I could teach the whole book of Galatians on this here whole subject. But I just want you to see this. Look there in Galatians in chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, look in verse 19. Verse 19. Because the Jews had a problem. They were caught up into the law. They were like the law keepers. It's self-righteous Pharisees. In verse 19, wherefore, then serveth the law. Why did God add the law? It was added because of transgressions. Till the seed should come. And that word seed refers to Christ. It's mentioned right there in verse 16. Verse 16, Now to Abraham and his seed, Christ, were the promises made. 
He saith not unto seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. So Abraham knew in the Old Testament that when he talks about thy seed, he knew it was referring to Christ. The Bible says that God preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Abraham understood. That was the gospel. You read chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews, and it refers to that he looked for a city whose builder and maker was God. And he believed that if he actually slew his son, that God was able to raise him back to life because he received him in a figure. He knew he was a type. The scripture says Abraham knew this. And then you have people saying, well, he didn't know this. They didn't know that. They didn't know that. Yes, they did. Now, when he makes the statement here in verse 19, wherefore then serveth the law, it was added. Added to what? It was added to the promise. You don't add it to the grace. The promise was that a God was going to save a man by faith alone. That's why he says that the, he would justify the heathen through faith. That's mentioned in chapter 6 and verse 8 in chapter 3. And we won't look at that right now. So the promise... So we had the promise that God made. The promise was that God was saved by faith alone. God would justify. Per okay, that's the truth. And that was made 400 and something years before God ever gave the law. Why did he give the law? It was added. To what? It was added to show you that you could not save yourself by your works. So that the law would point you to Christ and you'll go to Christ to get saved. That's how God was going to fulfill the promise. You're going to be saved by faith alone. So he gave the law to convince you, you can't save yourself by the works. The only reason they had to make all those sacrifices is because they failed the law. If they didn't fail the law, they wouldn't have to do it, but they failed. So then he says here in verse 21, is the law then against the promise of God? God forbid, no. For if, if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. Did God give a law that says, if you keep the law, you'll go to heaven? There's no law that says that. Because God knows every man has sinned. The law was given with don't, don't, do, do, so that you'll know you didn't. And that leads you to the Lord. See there in verse 22? But the scripture hath concluded all under sin. Why? That the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that keep the Ten Commandments. What does it say? Given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law. See, before you trusted Christ as Savior, you were under the law, condemned by the law, and you needed a Savior. So the law was to point you to Christ. It's like the school bus that brings you to be taught at the school. But the, the law is not your Savior. So he says here in verse 23, But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterward be revealed. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. Why? Look at the rest of it. That's the promise that God made, that we should be justified by faith. So in order to keep the promise, Christ had to come and die so that God could keep his word that he was going to justify people by faith. So he gave the law so you wouldn't trust in it. So you'd know what God required. God requires perfection. And the law could not save. Therefore, by the law is the knowledge of, what's that big word? For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Sin. And all have sin. And that's why once we are in verse 25... 
after you have trusted Christ as Savior, you're no longer under the law. That means you can no longer be condemned by the law. The law can never condemn a dead man. That's the best news I ever heard. But anyway, for the sake of those that might be watching tonight, letting this hand represent you and me. The wallet represents sin. We all have sin on us. Now God says that He loves us. He hates our sin, but He loves us. And for us to pay for sin is eternal separation from God in hell. God loves us and wants us to go to heaven. But to go to heaven, we have to be perfect, as righteous as God. We can have no sin. No sin can enter into that place. So God says you need a Savior. You cannot save yourself. Not by your works. So God gave the law so you'll know what it requires. Perfection. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, body, soul, and strength. Have you done that? Love thy neighbors thyself. Yeah, right. You've done all of that. Perfectly. Since the day you were born. This end represents Jesus Christ. God in the flesh. Came into the world because he loves us. He hates our sin because our sin separates us from him. So Christ took the sin, paid for it on the cross, and came back from the dead. It says all that we have to do to go to heaven is believe that he did it for us. And when we believe it, this payment is put to our account. And God gives us his righteousness. We go to heaven because of what Christ did for us. He gets all the credit, all the honor. And when we get to heaven, he'll get all the glory. Let's pray, shall we? With heads bowed and eyes closed and no one looking around. If you're here tonight and have never trusted the Lord, or if you're watching by internet, why not right now in the quietness of this moment just talk to the Lord and say, Lord, I don't understand it all, but I know I'm a sinner. Because, friend, we all are. But I believe that when Christ died, I believe he died for me. And tonight I will accept him as my Savior. So if you trust him to take you to heaven, he takes that payment he made, puts it to your account, gives you the free gift of everlasting life. So that he never cast you out, he'd never lose you. So right now, would you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior? Friend, if you do, God will save you. And you can know you're going to heaven when you die. Our Father, we thank you so much for being so good to us, making it possible for us to have eternal life. And then writing your word in such a way that we can understand why you do what you do. And Father, I have no problem with any of your decisions. It makes good, perfect sense. You love this all, but you don't force us to trust you. You don't force us to believe. There's consequences of our disobedient decisions, but there's a lot of good blessings to our ones that we believe and trust you for. You give us the free gift of everlasting life. I ask your blessings upon these that are here tonight. Bless our church. Keep those that are traveling. Keep them safe. We pray, Lord, for much to be accomplished. We pray, Lord, your will to be done in ranch tomorrow night. We pray there will be a lot of kids, many to trust your Savior. Lord, it is our request. That's what we ask for. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.